My name is Linda Williams, and this is Reality Skimming. Welcome back to Reality Skimming. We now return to Anne with Chapter 8, Vaughn's Data. Anne has returned to the jungle world, the verdant, primitive world of Mega. I thought about it all the way back, Anne concluded. The way I fell for Nagani, hitting on Renard, and then thinking I'm in love with a Gilak, it's dysfunctional. The presiding councillor failed to pounce. In fact, Councillor Ling looked more pained than compassionate. Do you mind if I get myself a hot chocolate? She asked. Ah, no, sure, Anne said, getting up. Her hands spread against the sides of her stretch pants. Bring me one too, she said, trying to sound casual. The room she was left in was like every other counselor's room she'd ever known, with minor variations. It had some morph furniture grouped around a stage. Behind Anne, an archway led to the lobby of the pilot services building. Ahead of her, a transparent wall faced out onto the commons lawn. The lawn was not covered in grass the way it would have been back home on Ryer. Instead, it was a sprawl of mossy ground cover, bubbling with tiny purple flowers. Two people standing in front of a tall tree were staring at Anne through the transparent wall. The young man actually pointed and said something to the girl on his arm. Such behavior was as rare as it was rude on Ryer, but then this was Mega. Anne made a face at the offending youth to scare him off. Parvert, she muttered, and felt consoled. Councillor Ling returned with two mugs. Here you are, she said, handing Anne's over. Ling favored a highly supportive environment. Her morph seating grew a shelf to accommodate her mug. Anne held hers cupped in her hands. I was wondering, Ling began cautiously, if you would like to discuss the recent vote in progress concerning proper treatment of your Gilak. He's not my Gilak, said Anne. I think, Ling said, you may be suffering from some factual misconceptions about Vaughn. Who? asked Anne. Your Gilak, the counselor told her. His real name is Vaughn. Anne shrugged, thinking, con artist. I think there's something you should see, Ling told her, turning to her stage. Reference the Gilak Vaughn, she ordered, and display his sexual response profile. The stage produced a 3D graph. Vaughn is not the least bit homosexual, Ling said, pointing out a valley. That's an aversion response. Her hand shifted, altering the image. The emotional integration here is more typically female than male, but that's shading into general personality. And while this might confuse the issue, her fingers panned through a spiky region. It is actually a pansexualization pattern, typical in chronic sex abuse victims with an onset in childhood. Subtract the noise and mute the unusual emotional overlay, her stage display adjusted accordingly. And you get classic sexual triggers for a male adolescent, a heterosexual male adolescent. She sat back. 
In fact, Vaughn is so adverse to homosexuality, it is pathological from a Rishan point of view, however understandable his phobia in light of his experiences. That's beauty's profile? Anne said stupidly, still flummoxed. Where did it come from? It was included in the data you brought back. I never saw it, Anne protested. You never asked to, Ling said simply. Not on second contact station, not in transit, and certainly not since you got back. She signaled the stage off. I suspect you are so wrapped up in your resentment at his failure to remain the perfect lover that you can't think about him as a person, as the boy you seduced and encouraged to care about you. I seduced and shot up. Hey, you weren't there. She pivoted towards the glass wall. Ling stood too. And wait, that was clumsy of me. Anne would not wait. She was sick of people telling her to read the record and irked by Ling taking beauty's side in their breakup. He had lied to her, used her to learn the jump, and he had done it all for some great meaty oaf of a gilak named Hareth with his pie eyes and spectacular hair nose. She walked straight through doors in the glass wall onto the commons where the hot Megan sun cheerfully tried to cook her in the sweat it instantly inspired. It took a moment to adjust after the air-conditioned visiting room set to mimic Ryer's mild climate. Then Anne set off across the commons at a brisk walk, trying not to think about beauty's sexual profile. Hey, Anne, a voice shattered her muddled thoughts. She turned to see a fellow pilot called Josh jogging up to greet her. Josh was always trying to pick her up, and he had even succeeded once, precipitating one of Nagani's jealous tantrums, or had it been one of her guilty ones? She wasn't sorry to see him now. Josh was cute, if you could put up with him being a smartass. A native-born Megan, he was also indifferent to the heat she found oppressive. Guess what, he told her. I am flying the answer back to Lurl. Soon as the vote's in from Ryer, I'm off, he grinned. Good for you, she tossed back. It won't be until tomorrow, he said. Want to hit the bar with me now? Sure. It was better than anything else she could think of doing. You don't know what I'm talking about, do you? He asked, bobbing along beside her and grinning like it was a good joke. You really are info-resistant. I sacked out as soon as I passed my post-flight exam, okay? Anne went on the attack. Just got up, ate, and went to see a counselor who came over all tutorials, so don't replay her act. Okay, okay, don't be sore. He tossed his loose, curly mass of hair, making her think about beauty and how, unlike Josh, he didn't flaunt his good looks. This'll be fun, said Josh, giving Anne a friendly nudge as he took her arm. I've never dated someone famous before. Being famous wasn't socially acceptable to good Rishans. Prominence in one's chosen field, yes, but famous was a bit crass. Anne extracted her arm just as they reached the entrance to an underground bunker, headed up with a big archaic neon sign that said, Pilot's Dungeon. Early 21st century warnings about cigarettes were plastered all over the entrance. Josh ushered them in through a pair of quaint swinging doors.
The large open room inside was dim after broad daylight. Anne stood blinking as the funky interior came into focus. Patrons sat huddled around stage pits, drinking and smoking, which was normal. The social transparency index surveillance strips along the walls were damaged, which was also normal. Out of order, a sign proudly proclaimed. The noise level dropped as people began turning around in their seats, cued by their neighbors. It wasn't hard to guess why. All the active stage pits were playing scenes with beauty in them. On one, Anne thought she spotted the sexual response profile Ling had shown her. Anne, an acquaintance called out and waved, come join us. Other tables erupted in offers calling things like here and yo, Anne. Anne was sure she'd never slept with the man who yelled, was he better than I was? But she yelled back, much, and he laughed. Josh caught her hand. I see some people I know. Anne's eyes snagged on every stage pit they passed. The first one showed beauty being extracted from his spherical ship. The next was full of genetic data. The one of her with beauty in her bedroom explained her celebrity, even though the display switched to an arbiter summary just as things began to get hot. The last stage pit she looked at switched its display to unsuitable for minors as she went past, but for once Anne didn't mind getting the kitty treatment. The censored scene showed a child-sized image of beauty surrounded by jeering, drunken gilags, watching him strive to fend off the attack of a grown man. What's going on? Anne hissed at Josh. Your gilak friend, said Josh. He's quite a show. That's not the official verdict, of course, said the frail-looking man who rose to greet them. His stage card, a customized graphic keyed to appear on the closest stage when introductions were in order, said his name was Erno. Officially, said Erno, Rye is distressed and concerned by Vaughn's terrible childhood and not the least bit titillated. Erno had the 40-going-on-90 look of a retired pilot, affirmed by the ship on his stage card. The girl seated beside him was a classic pilot groupie. Her card proclaimed herself, Christine, in an adolescent mishmash of goofy effects and garish colors. Christine got two big eyefuls of Anne and gushed, You really are her, aren't you? You're THE Anne. Oh, she's Anne, for sure. The last member of the group roused herself to snipe, still sleeping with the wrong men. Anne didn't need to see the woman's stage card to recognize a contemporary of Nagani's, who had retired when Nagani should have. Yin was the sort of pilot space service rarely got and wanted more of. The tough, no-nonsense type. Anne had never seen her drunk before. So glad you favored us with your company, Erno assured Anne to paper over Yin's insult. And rest assured, you can speak freely in the pilot's dungeon, he winked at her. They're always having trouble in here with the surveillance strips. The display stages continued to censor displays when a miner walked past, but they were idiot savants, restricted in function. No one counted that surveillance. Anne sat as far from Christine as she could, and disliked groupies. There had always been one or two hanging around Nagani to complicate her love life. Yin gestured toward the stage pit. Idiots, 
She waved her hand unsteadily. Will you just look? The image on Yin's stage was a sight graph, but not the same one Councillor Ling had showed Anne. Perhaps we ought to turn our stage off, in deference to present company, Erno suggested. By all means, enthused Josh, let's protect Anne's exemplary innocence. After all, she is probably the only person in her own update radius who doesn't know we've all been outclassed. What do you mean? Christine asked, wide-eyed as usual. I mean, Anne hasn't taken in all of this stuff, explained Josh. Go get me a beer, Anne ordered and stroked up a menu. Uh, sure, said Josh, caught without a snappy comeback. He hauled himself up off the morph seating beside her and went to collect her order from an auto-serve bar. Erno offered Anne a cigarette. She refused him. She could not imagine beauty smoking. Yin said bitterly, The Gilak isn't human. How can you say that? Christine cried, her big girly eyes filling up with tears. He's the sweetest man on record. Yin slid her elbows forward, sleeves soaking up beer spilled earlier. You make me want to puke, she said, and stabbed an arm at the graph. Look hard and think with what's between your ears, not your legs. It dawned on Anne suddenly that the graph measured piloting aptitude. It had been hard to recognize because the scale was compressed in a way that was simply impossible. Law and reason, she breathed. Is that really your Gilak boyfriend? Erno said dryly. Yes. Remarkable, isn't it? She was looking at the specs of a pilot who could fly rings around her. Anne was with Yin. She was scared. He's perfectly human, Christine insisted, sticking out her sensuous lower lip. Oh, yeah, Josh pitched in jovially, plunking down Anne's drink and climbing back into his place beside her. Way, way too perfectly everything. Erno picked up the thread. Expert opinion leans toward a bioengineering explanation. Vaughn's looks, for example, may have been designed to match a romantic ideal, an obsolete one now except in some quarters. He tipped his head towards Christine. Josh laughed. Being bioengineered doesn't mean Vaughn isn't human, said Christine, her face heated. There are places in Union Reach where bioengineering is done for cosmetic reasons. Erno adopted a patronizing manner. I believe there was much more involved in this case than a bit of cosmetic tinkering. You don't get change that drastic and complex without doing something unethical, Josh expanded, like weeding out whole crops of variants with torture trials over long trips, and then breeding just the survivors. Which positively forces one to wonder how they produced the perfect lover, Erno said with mock delicacy. Gilaks are bioengineered? Anne asked, pointedly ignoring Erno. But they're so primitive. They didn't invent themselves, Josh told her importantly. Earth did. 
whip them up to explore space after losing contact with us. Things must have screwed up on Earth politically after the jump collapsed. He read that, you realize, Erno remarked. If Josh ever had an original idea as weighty as that, it would squash him flat. Then the Sevalites got loose and bred on their own, Josh persevered. I believe you did notice Vaughn seemed capable of reproductive functions, Erno toasted Anne. Josh spurted beer across the table, unable to stifle a laugh, and shoved him off the morph seat beside her. Hey, he protested, scrambling up from the floor. Take it easy, Anne. We had better be careful, Erno said with mock gravity. She may send her boyfriend after us, armed with a pointy sword. The men began to laugh again hysterically. Yin shot up. Sex and swords. Is that all you young fools can think about? She pointed stiffly into Vaughn's piloting profile. Look at his piloting aptitude, and he's regenerative too. Flying won't leave him weak and falling apart. She shot Erno a glare. He outflew Anne without even finding it stressful. Anne and Nagani were always the best we had. Don't you understand? It will be the killing war all over again, and we're doomed. It was not a pilot living who did not recognize mood swings as a symptom of advancing spacer's syndrome. Yin was Nagani's past and Anne's future. The whole table fell silent out of respect for a disabled comrade. I'm going somewhere to sleep this off, Yin muttered, lurching from rage to embarrassment. Shouldn't we make sure she gets home? Josh asked as Ying teetered off. They'll be pilot handlers all over her as soon as she shows up on record, said Erno. He raised his glass in salute. Ryer takes care of those it sacrifices to keep the arbiters in sync. Christine startled Anne by touching her arm. I think Vaughn is wonderful, she said with cloying earnestness. I'd do anything to help make him better. She actually batted her eyelids. Anne wished she was drunk enough to slug her. Sober, it just wasn't worth hurting her hand. There is something frightening, don't you think? Erno remarked to Josh, about the way women fall all over men who have suffered, as if they find it stimulating. You're disgusting, Christine turned on him, the red highlights in her hair making her complexion look orange in the mottled lighting of the bar. I'm disgusting. You should have seen yourself watching Vaughn's memories, Erno told her. He tipped his head towards Josh. I made an illegal copy on off-record media. Works wonders with underage girls itching to get past unsuitable for minors. Christine snatched up Anne's beer and hurled it into Erno's face. I hate you, she cried, scrambling to her feet. My parents were right about old pilots. She emphasized the word old. Maybe, Erno struggled to retain his dignity with beer dripping off his thin nose. But I was right about you, sweetheart. You wanted to know all the gory details. Anne got up. Josh caught her elbow. Anne, later. She turned to Erno. That off-record copy you've got. Is it the Gilax memories? The way they played on Lurl's stage? Sure is, he said. How much is there? About two hours, he smirked at her. Interested? Not remotely, said Anne. But I'm going to report you. 
She looked around the room, suddenly sickened by the smoke and other symptoms of petty pilot rebelliousness. Erno looked resentful and dangerous. Josh was startled. But Anne, you've done stuff like that yourself, with us. Maybe I grew up, said Anne. She turned and strode out, giving the pseudo-salon doors of the pilot's dungeon, which suddenly seemed as childish to her as the bar's inhabitants, a fierce shove. On the commons, it was bright daylight. A couple of pilot handlers in uniform were helping Ying across the emerald lawn. Hey, Anne hailed them, taking a few running steps to catch up. The nearest one turned around. Hello, Anne, he greeted her. She got it all out in one sentence. Erno's got an off-record copy of the Gilak's memories that he's showing to minors for sexual favors. Minors like Christine? The pilot handler guessed. Thanks, Anne. The bar's stages specialize in worrying about who's seeing what and miss a lot. Of course, we wouldn't need to rely on the stage pits if you pilots weren't forever readjusting the bar's social transparency index. He smiled, perfectly aware of the chronic vandalism. Are you going to put Erno in a group home? Anne asked with the zeal of the newly converted. His counselor will certainly be informed, said the handler. And Christine's parents, of course. He excused himself and hurried to catch up with his partner, who was navigating Yin towards the pilot dorms. By the time Anne reached her own room, she knew what she was going to do. Stay John, she ordered, and got the default yellow diamond. Configure a new interface based on Vaughn the Gilak. Reference resolved, said the yellow diamond. Extensive personality data is on record for Vaughn. Specify extent of simulation. Just audiovisual, Anne chickened out, then relented a little. But make him capable of conversation. The yellow diamond winked out and was replaced by Vaughn, dressed in the flight pants and sweaty silk shirt he had been wearing when Anne first saw him in Laurel's recovery room. Beauty? Anne said with a pang. You called me beauty, the simulation answered mildly. I also claim to be Liege Monatum. My real name appears to be Vaughn. Vaughn? Anne repeated. Who is Vaughn? A male courtesan employed at an establishment called Eva's on Gillian. And you're not homosexual? Anne ventured. I have a strong heterosexual orientation and accept, in very general terms, my culture's very negative attitude towards homosexuality. What about Hereth? Anne demanded. Hereth uses me to satisfy desires condemned by Gilak culture. How do you feel about him? Anne asked, stomach nodding up. The simulation hooded its brilliant gray eyes. She recognized the pose. It was taken from the record of their time together. Sometimes I have violent impulses toward Hereth, Vaughn's image said. Sometimes, when he touches me, I wish I had the courage to die. Other times I feel sorry for him. What do you mean? Anne began, leaning closer as if she could snatch the trick of light into her arms. She paused to clear a lump in her throat. What do you mean you wish you had the courage to die? I have an unusually lush nervous system for responding to both pain and pleasure. The stage offered her links to neurological references. It makes me afraid to die, to lose the pleasure, and it makes me afraid to be hurt again. 
But this fear betrays all I hold dear. Fear made me betray my sister, Mira. It stopped me fighting Jarl to save a girl I had befriended. Fear would have made me obey her wrath and go back to him. I nearly did go back. But then Lurl told me about the visitor probe, and I thought it might be able to save me if I rebelled. I did not want to betray you, and I wanted to stay as well. I hate the things I do out of fear. That is why I sometimes want to die. How do we know all this? Anne asked him, stunned. Why is there so much of you on record? Tapping my memories was an unexpected side effect of using the visitor probe to arrest my conscience bond attack, explained Vaughn's image. Anne shook her head as if to get water out of her ears. She was so overwhelmed by all the details. A what bond? A conscience bond, the stage replied in Vaughn's warm tenor voice is a hitherto unknown form of aggressive, intrusive conditioning that guarantees obedience to a bond master. If the bond slave rebels, a feedback loop attacks his autonomic functions, resulting in death. A rash of handles sprang up alongside Vaughn's projection. Please refer to references for details. You mean rebelling against Tereth is what caused your attack? Anne sought her own form of clarification. And, and it could have killed you? Yes, the image answered. Drop simulation, Anne ordered, and Vaughn's supple form was replaced by the yellow diamond. Anne hugged her arms to her chest, feeling hollow. This conscience bond thing, she asked. W was it something Beauty volunteered for? Some sort of Gilak relationship ritual? The bond was forcibly imposed, replied the yellow diamond. When? Anne barked, her voice rough. When Vaughn was a child of ten, the yellow diamond told her. Blacker and more violent emotions clotted around Anne's memories of her wrath than had ever affixed themselves to Lurl. It did cross her mind how unfair it was for her wrath to live in fear for the sake of his sexual orientation, but even this was no excuse for enslaving an unwilling ten-year-old, a good man, would have found another answer. Beauty said, and began and stopped herself. Vaughn said, she started over, that he betrayed someone called Mira. Who is Mira? Vaughn was raised with Mira in secret, in a place known as the Gorrelpul College, and trained as a pilot in order to import illegal lab supplies for Mira's father. Vaughn smuggled Mira off-planet to train as a medic, but in the process fell prey to her wrath. Mira tried to save him years later when she encountered him working as a courtesan. Mira accused her wrath of sexual misconduct, but she was unaware of the conscience bond. Backing her up would have killed Vaughn. That's what he meant when he said it should have been for Mira, Anne realized. He meant he should have rebelled then to justify her accusation. A warm glow thawed her old sense of injury, bringing tears to her eyes. But he did it for me, instead. Vaughn's feelings for you were a contributing factor, the Arbiter corrected. But he was more substantially influenced by a powerful reluctance to return to her wrath and an idealized view of Ryer in general. His awareness of the visitor probe's potential as a possible means of treatment also contributed to stage off and snapped. 
She paced the room until the sting of the arbiter's heartless analysis wore off, then called Ling to ask if she could see her again right away. I'm going back to second contact station, Anne told the counsellor when she barged back into her visiting room to be with Vaughn. I love him. And dumped her duffel bag on the floor. I just found out about the conscience bond and all the rest of it. I know, Ling assured her. I've been monitoring you. I still have a few questions, Anne forged ahead. Ones I didn't want to ask a stage. She held her breath a second. Is Vaughn going to be okay? I mean, medically? Ling pursed her lips. He can't be removed from the probe until the conscience bond is disabled. And Lurl isn't certain she can disable it without causing damage. In the meantime, he is suffering from total recall episodes, which are distressing to him. He thinks of them as clear dreams. That's a Gilak cultural reference. Gilaks believe in reincarnation, you see, and people who claim they can relive events from past lives are called clear dreamers. Vaughn is not reliving a past life exactly, but clear dream is the closest term he has for what he is experiencing. Does he love me? Anne demanded. Or was I simply business for him in the shower and afterwards in bed? Ling frowned, but she turned obediently to her stage as Anne waited, trembling a little. Is the visitor probe data sufficiently detailed to estimate the degree of Vaughn's um, personal attraction to Anne? Ling inquired. Data bearing on the question is available, the stage declared, and promptly displayed the unsuitable for minors message. Wait here, Ling told Anne. Anne waited, pacing the floor. It felt wrong to just ask and be told, even indirectly. But just because Vaughn loathed her ref didn't mean he loved other assignments. It made her squirm, remembering all the ways he had made sure her sexual needs were met. If she was going all the way back to second contact station to be with Vaughn, she had to know she meant more to him than mere work. Ling came back in, looking uncomfortable. Vaughn found you sexually attractive, she confirmed. But it is difficult to know what else he felt. Love is a hard thing to diagnose by psych profile. Anne decided she would settle for good, honest sexual attraction. Caring about Vaughn will not be easy, Ling warned, guessing as much as she saw Anne grinned. He is larger than life emotionally, a bit of a caricature, like a synth drama hero. It makes him vulnerable. A normal person gets over falling short of his ideals, but Lurl thinks Vaughn rebelled because he can't get over it. He couldn't add betraying you and the rest of the Rishans on the station to his feelings about Mira and the nameless girl he did not help back in a place called the Bear Pit. His rebellion was actually a breakdown. Not even getting rid of the conscience bond will necessarily fix the underlying problem, or worse, he may never be sane again. At best, he'll be supervised for years. Ling's warning settled around Anne like falling snow on a roaring hearth. The problems just didn't matter. Will you help me get clearance to go back? Anne asked. She had been flying too much over the last few days and would need the support of a counsellor. Ling looked like she was bursting to give more advice, but gave up with a sigh. Oh, all right. They based Anne's case on the relationship she and Vaughn had registered. 
He was in trouble, and she was his lawfully acknowledged sex partner. After hours of appeals and lobbying, Anne was granted a special exemption on compassionate grounds from the usual safety regulations that prevented pilots flying again too soon after their last trip. She was given leave to return to Vaughan on second contact station. Anne received notice of the recent vote while she was still taxiing clear. Another 20 minutes and she would have boosted a skim without knowing what Ryer had decided. Instead, Anne nearly turned back when she heard Vaughn was going to be flown back to Ryer, where a team was assembling to take care of him. The sensible thing to do was to go to Ryer and wait for him, but she just couldn't bear the idea. It would be too much like what had happened to Nagani, and with luck, maybe it still wouldn't happen. Opinion differed on Ryer over whether it was better to expose Vaughn to a long flight in his current unstable condition, or risk treating him in situ. There was some concern that Vaughn's abnormal damage control mechanisms would hinder any attempt to target the conscience bond selectively, but Lyrell felt these applied only to preserving memories. Lyrell herself was more concerned about re-establishing Vaughn's sanity after the treatment. She suspected the conscience bond had functioned as an excuse for everything he hated about himself. But Lyrell still favoured treatment on second contact station. Maybe she would wait for a second opinion from Ryer before accepting the first one. It was a slim hope, but Anne clung to it, especially since it was the anthropologists who had tipped the scales in the end. As terrible as the conscience bond was, went the winning argument, it could not be severed without knowing more about its cultural significance. Bullshit, thought Anne when she had finished with the audio summaries, reality skimming heartily by now in the direction of second contact station. She was certain Vaughn would want the conscience bond out of his head. A familiar feeling of nausea brought her attention back to piloting, just as a rail ship appeared out of nowhere and buzzed by her close enough to dislocate reality. There was no way it could have been Josh. It came at her doing over two skim factors. Anne's last coherent feeling, before she lost her grip, was terror. And that's the end of that chapter, a shortish chapter, Vaughn's Data. Interesting how Ryer is trying to decide what the right thing to do with Vaughn is and trying to use their moral compasses in relation to a culture where they don't know enough to be certain. I've always been fascinated by the idea of what is and isn't universal about human nature and human values. And uh, this is one of the situations where the culture clash theme of the saga uh, is evident. So, thank you, and uh, I'll talk to you next time on Reality Skimming.